What's going on, everybody? This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics, and this is the Chondrocast, the podcast about green tree pythons and the people that keep them. Enjoy the show. Episode 21 of the Chondrocast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. Tonight I am joined by Mr. James Opdahl and Andy Middleton up in the Great White North of Connecticut. What's up, man? What's going on? What's going on, dude? How you doing? I'm good, man. Tired, but hopefully this uh, this nicotine-caffeine combination will bring me back. And keep me up so I can get this thing posted tonight. You should go start drinking Red Bull and whiskey. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, or 150 proof moonshine. So. Yeah, yeah some, we're uh, uh, some Bacardi we're 151. Drink- I don't know what this is. We call it a Goatman Special. It's a it's a homebrew. Uh, uh, it's a distilled 150 proof brandy that's basically tastes like johnny walker red nice <laughs> yeah we might have gotten uh, off topic too early but <laughs> uh, it's gonna happen y'all it's just just accept it yeah so uh we're just sitting here at, at my house in the basement and uh staring at a wall of chondros and uh we're as we were just discussing before you went live there's uh I got three males sitting here that are just wandering aimlessly in enclosures with females and uh, decided that they'd rather drink at the at the watering hole called the manhole as opposed to fucking going to uh, go go into the strip bar. See, here's do yours when yours do that, though, is there like what seems like an invisible force field between them and the female to where there's like the middle of the cage like they won't cross over that onto her side? This one is literally climbing over the female as if she's not even uh, there. See, mine aren't even curdy enough to, do, you know, be, he won't even do that. Like, I tried a younger <laughs> male, same thing. Put in the older male. He just got comfortable. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember this place, whatever. You stay on your end, I'll stay on my end. And, and then I have another, there's another male that um, I put him in yesterday with this female who's proven and... um she literally went over to where he was and draped her coils over him, like breed me. <laughs> and and the thing was like, no, no, not that. Take me, Garth. Anything but that. And fucking just quivered in the corner and ran away. And I was like, Jesus Christ. What's, you know. the, what's the youngest male you've bred? I mean, I, pro- I usually don't try anything like under three and a half, three. Sorry, to take that back. Um, probably three. I've probably tried something two and a half, uh-huh. but um, I think when I did that, the first clutch that I got from that breeding was were all not fertile. Mm-hmm. Then I tried the same male with another female the year after, and it was a perfect fertile clutch. Yeah. Um, I tried a younger male before I put in my my older guy, and he's about two and a half, and he just he was just. He seemed terrified. He just cruised constantly. He didn't stop, even during the day. So I left him over there overnight, and then 
once I saw that he just wasn't chilling out, I just pulled him. I was like, all right, dude. And I tried him twice. Still, still same thing both times. So I just, I was like, whatever, you'll get another year. We'll try again uh, at a later date. I got a 2012 Highland Biak here that I, I love this snake. It's beautiful. It was a red Neo. It's a kind of a high yellow from red calico looking type animal. And it was a 2012 that I produced has no interest in breeding. I've tried it with multiple females and maybe I was getting impatient and just not left them in. But I mean, technically you could just leave the animal in for the whole season, except Mm -hmm. for feeding. And hopefully when the female begins to come into season and develop follicles that he'll, it'll trigger something in them. But it just, I've tried this animal many times and just, just uh, don't don't know what because he cruises all over. Mm-hmm. Um, he does not go off feed. I have a couple of males that never go off feed that will you know breed and eat at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Um, recently had a uh, my Andrew Amon Blue male who is like, you know, I kind of nickname him the Defiler. <laughs> he'll, he'll just, he just ruins he just ruins shit he uh he goes in there and he's at him right away and uh so yeah the defiler got uh defiled by this female i got from tim morris and uh she basically clamped down on him and yanked away as hard as she could and he prolapsed his hemipene Oof. and uh I got him to the vet right away because I couldn't get that thing back in by myself. And uh, we had to uh, had to give it some anesthesia, knock it out. Mm -hmm. And it it took at least an hour to get it back into the pocket because it was quite badly swollen Mm -hmm. to the point. It wasn't necrotic and it was still viable, but that that snake got his junk wrecked. Man, for, for sure. I've never seen it happen before. I saw it happen. And, uh, it was three days later that he, I realized that he was really in bad shape. So he may not even be a breeder anymore. Yeah. That sounds like sadly a, like a, but, a but season, I think he got the job ender. done. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you think that's going to play out? Well, I think he definitely got her knocked up, except um, I haven't seen an ovulation yet. I've seen follicle development. Um, so maybe his, uh, prodigy will come out of out of her but i that might be the last the last of the defilers but uh Poor sucks, man blue line and that is pretty crazy yeah that's that a... that's um the tim morris uh blue female uh you have the whole uh yeah i mean it's the gordon blue two female um she she produced once before at the barn for Christian, uh, I think something like six years ago, maybe. But uh, mm-hmm. this is the Andrew Amon blue line male that's produced some really nice animals I, that I basically everything that came out of the pairing of between him and the Monoquari blue female that I have. Um were just ridiculous looking Man. all blue um 
super super nice animals but um this tim morris blue line female is from well i know the golden blue female was at a 896 and the wild caught some wrong i mean and then yeah that was paired back to legend because with the Andrew Amon male, I mean, 50% Mr. Bluebird, Mr. Blue and 25% Bluebird uh, Grasshopper. I don't know, it's a pretty high legend percentage. I mean, if anything, meals from that. I mean, but I mean, that's just comparing lineages. I'm not trying to count any eggs before they hatch. I mean, the, the nice thing about the female is that it's very close to the tap to the original. It's like one, what is it, one generation removed from the original blue source. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, she's fourteen oh six. Are you is, is are you and Tim planning on coming to Carpet Fest in February? Um, we were just talking with Andy about that because Andy had made a suggestion of getting a uh, Winnebago. Yeah, he's he's been there. he's been pretty sold on that idea for a couple of weeks now. Well, yeah. Um, when I was at Tinley, I mean, there was a lot of people from the Northeast up there. Um, and we were just discussing Southeast Carpet Fest because, I mean, everybody in the Northeast, uh, I've met them all prior at uh, Northeast Carpet Fest. And uh, the topic just kind of came up and uh, I threw it out there and got a little bit of traction. But uh, I haven't looked too much further into it. But uh, I mean, I still think it's a neat idea. I mean, definitely. If there's enough interest, you know, to make it worthwhile. But. It's over at uh, Cody Bartaroni's. Yep, yep. Second year in a row. So, uh, yeah, I missed last year, but I heard it was fun. Yeah, their spot's just so perfect for it. You know, they they got enough space for everybody. They've got the land. They don't have to worry about the neighbors because the neighbors don't care. You know, it's just they've they've got a the perfect setup for it. And it's also, yeah. it's easily accessible to pretty much everybody. It's not in, like, the tip of freaking Florida and like the keys or anything like that. Yeah. It's not South Florida. It's like you're pretty, once you hit Florida, it's not a bad track. No, no, no. Yeah. Tim and I drove, drove from, uh, I drove from Connecticut, um, down to Cody's last time down to Tim Morris. And then we took his truck down to, uh, Cody's and Daytona. And that was cool. It's just, uh, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot. It's an effort. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's not a s- short trip. You know, yeah, I know the year before I had animals with me too. Oh, I had a booth in Daytona. Oh, and, that's uh, right. Because I had some friends that brought back one of your like business cards, and they're like, "Do you know who this is?" I was like, "Yeah, I've heard of him." Or like, he had some of the yeah. coolest snakes in that entire show. I was like, "I'm sure he did." Tim had some nice stuff too. Tim had some green trees there, and Tim also had some Angolan pythons that he produced. Nice. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I, that last year or this year was the first time I've been to Daytona. So. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun. Everything's right it was there. A great time. You, don't have to, you don't have to drive anywhere. You can get plowed at the uh, sushi place and drink all the sake <laughs> you want. <laughs> <laughs> that I missed. I think I was probably asleep. Uh, that's one of my favorite parts of it. They they send you cr- full carafes of uh, of uh, cold, unfiltered, homemade sake there. That's freaking the bomb. Oh, that sounds dangerous. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's a good time. But we had a table of like freaking 30 people there last time. The freaking owner was loving us. Yeah, he's getting paid, keeping the lights on. One yeah. table pays his rent. Oh, uh, it was a good deal. But um, we will get into so the we, meat we, and we kind of started off in the middle there. Do you, we do did no, but that's fine because I like it. You know, I like it to just go wherever it goes. Um, but we will get into just some general information about the both of you. Um, time with Condros, how you got into them, uh, what was your first one, like your experience with that, and then your current collections. So you guys can flip a coin and figure out who wants to go first. Uh, it might as well. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I've only been working strictly with, like, Condros for the last 12 years. So, but before that, I, you know, I, I've been keeping and breeding snakes for technically, I mean, maybe 38 years, a, long, a, a good long time. Damn. Yeah, so I started breeding, you know, when I was a lot younger. I was about... 12 years old when I, I produced uh, green snakes and was easily, I was able to hatch out those eggs, which was a bizarre thing to start with, but yeah, that's what is. I And then uh, from there, I picked up a pair of Okatee corn snakes when I was uh, traveling uh, by car down there when I was about 12. So I, I was able to produce corn snakes and hatch them out. And then uh, finally got boa constrictors when I was like 14. So I was able to produce some really nice BCI, um, pure BCI boas that came into the country in like the early 70s. Um, and from there, I, I kind of moved around a lot. So I couldn't, I, I started putting these big snakes around and uh, really I started to cut down a lot. And then I, mm -hmm. I'd always wanted green tree pythons. So I'm like, I'm going to sell everything and just get green tree pythons. So about 20 years ago, I found a male import at a pet store and picked that up for about a thousand bucks. And that was like a lot for that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was just a green, maybe it was a lira or something like that, but I picked them up and something like that. <laughs> it was, in, it was, in, it was right. in like a, this thing was in a dirty 10 gallon fish tank with like just a perch and that was it like with a screen top it was as ghetto as it could get mm -hmm. um so that animal i bought and then i was still breeding the boas and i had a, a a full litter of like 24 really nice babies so i contacted kevin from nerd and they were getting a lot of imp a lot of nice imports at the time so i went up to new hampshire or is that mass yeah i went up there and I traded him like something like 18 freaking captive bred baby boas for one uh, green tree python female. So it was like a Jaya type looking animal. She was pretty. And uh, I, I got my two snakes and I raised them up and then I finally set them together. And uh, she th threw a full clutch of fertile eggs uh, when I was uh, probably hammered at a bar somewhere because i was like <laughs> I, I remember i came home and i was like god damn it and it was like 
they were just scattered all over the the floor of the enclosure and i i put them in the incubator but it was like too late you gotta so, do the cody god damn it god damn it yeah god damn it <laughs> <laughs> that's my homage to cody bartaroni so yeah i mean after that it was many years until i got back into them because i moved around a bit but then i started accumulating um that female died when i was uh moving she something happened with the heat panel and mm. she got too hot so unfortunately i lost a female and i didn't buy another green tree python for many years but that original male that i bought at that pet store from that dirty enclosure um he he lived for 20 years that snake damn um and then I purchased another one when I was down in Florida for a while, which was um, an Aru, which I had for 18 years, who produced probably five clutches for me. Um, that animal uh, has produced, I mean, just a nice Aru-looking, Aru-type animal. Mm -hmm. Nothing too high white or anything about it. I paired that one with a... Um, big Bioc female I had and they had some of the best high yellow um, offspring that I've ever produced and super healthy really resilient animals um, so once I mean once I got back up into Connecticut I started accumulating <clears throat> as many animals as I could because I mean there was mostly at the time a lot of imports and I was just starting to figure out who had what as far as captive bred and that's when i the i hooked up with some of the people that were producing some really nice stuff which was like uh tim morris um i got my first blue line mail from him and uh then his uh christian christian stewart and uh keith thompson i i got some really nice animals from keith that went on to produce my female uh, Lagatha that was from his blue and black bloodline that I crossed with a Highland type male that was undocumented. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, some Vinsky animals I got from Joe Vinsky. And, uh, you know, between those guys and I got a bunch of stuff from Christian that, you know, I've been working with for years now. But, uh, you know, I I definitely was like just kind of on a mission to try to get as diverse a, a group of animals as I could, and you know that's uh, that's kind of where I'm at now. I I went from I, I sold I sold a lot of stuff to buy these animals. I had an antique firearms collection that I probably had a hundred grand in. Jeez. And uh, sold everything and bought snakes with the money. Took it to Antiques Roadshow and, and sold it off. Yeah, you know, I sold them on Gunbroker. I just sent them <laughs> to uh, sent them all over the country to people I didn't know. Yeah, it's crazy what the market is for that kind of like the really <laughs> older stuff like that. It's oh, wild yeah. how popular I, that stuff is. I'll I'll never get it back. Like I, I kind of am a little sad about it because I I just collected these antique Mausers were the only rifles that I collected, and mm -hmm. there's some that some went directly to museums actually, wow. and uh, some of them were like 
one of a kind prototypes and you'll never see them out in, in circulation until the people that have those now die. Right. Like they're, they're gone. God. Kind of like, kind of like blue chondros. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty <know>? much. <clears throat> yeah. So what, how many chondros do you have right now? Um, I guess right now I have about like 35. Okay. I've got a good collection of adults here and uh I've got probably eight or nine uh yearlings that I'm raising up and I have the two Bolins pythons still. Which hopefully are gonna do some good this season. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm uh, everyone I'm sure is jealous of those to some degree. Well, <clears throat> If I produce them and they have money to spend, they don't have to be jealous anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, that's exactly pretty much how I got into chondros, basically. And you just wanted them. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, really yeah, annoyed. I was looking for a chondro and I got talked out of, uh, this was probably uh, a year and a half ago or so, maybe a year and a quarter ago. Something like that. Yeah, I think it could be about a year ago now. Well, you came to pick these up. You you came to pick up one of those Highland animals originally. Yeah, so, I mean, um, at the time I had a pretty large uh, carpet collection. I um, ended up uh, taking on my buddy's collection who had to move stuff out. Um, Mm -hmm. So we had a lot of carpets and whatnot and, you know, working with Morelli and whatnot, I immediately got sucked in. I mean, it's kind of a... They go Once hand in hand, yeah. It all goes like I mean, Somalia one, and Morelia and all that stuff, all the carpets. One is too many and a thousand isn't enough, right. you know? So, uh, yeah, I quickly got sucked into this uh, bug, per se. And uh, so, yeah, after working with carpets a bit, um, I, I just absolutely loved the uh, arboreal stuff. I mean, I worked with ball pythons prior, and uh, prior to that, strictly chameleons, veils, and panthers. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, just uh, chameleons kind of sucked me into the whole reptile thing, just uh, being able to read an animal so well because they're Mm -hmm. physically displaying it so well. And uh, that's kind of just the animal behavior is kind of what got me into reptiles uh, via chameleons. Um, But, yeah, so I had a large collection of carpets and uh, graduated to green trees. Um, I I definitely... uh, looking at the designer stuff getting posted up you know i joined a couple of green tree python groups because uh i mean yeah i only got into them really a year ago and then Mm -hmm. uh, the gas was on the pedal Um, so yeah i was talked out of going to underground reptiles at the expo because you know selling carpets at expos you know you got cash afterwards um at the you know as a young mm-hmm. guy, you know, in an expo at White Plains, you know, it's just uh, it's an easy way to just keep buying extremely uh, weird stuff. <laughs> Coming home with the, I don't know, I was working with a lot of species at one point, but uh, but yeah. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, so I was looking for green trees and whatnot. My buddy recommended, like, dude, there's this guy in Newtown. I live in a town over, um, and so. Uh, so I reached out to James, talked to him for a little bit. I mean, I'm used to um, a bunch of tire kickers on Facebook. And uh, he's like, oh, if you're interested in anything, you got to give me a call. Um, so 
Yeah, gave him a call with my buddy, talked to him for about an hour. And I then, did make you call me. Yep. <laughs> and then, uh, and then by, appointment uh, by the end of the phone call, I forgot to completely ask about anything available. And, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, a couple days later, I reached out to James again and uh, ended up coming over here. You know, it was a quick 15-minute drive and uh, came over here and... Uh, I was just overwhelmed. I, I was just absolutely speechless. I mean, you're looking at, uh, I mean, my basis of green trees was, uh, you know, expos and whatnot. I mean, that's kind of where I was when I was getting into reptiles. You know, I wasn't, uh, I mean, I was on Facebook and whatnot, but the local groups and stuff like that. Wasn't you were really showing good. your O face? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, oh. So I walk into James. He was and... like fucking Forrest Gump, dude. He was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so I walk into James's house after obsessing over these conjos for two days after uh, talking to him on the phone, you know, because, uh, you know, just talking to James where he's walking away with more <laughs> questions than answers, you know, I'll call him for a simple thing. And... Next, what... next thing you know is Python's got a blown out O-ring and what to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, came to James's, uh, put a deposit down for a Highland Womane animal. Um, and after just shitting my pants after seeing this collection, <laughs> um, from a guy who's just surrounded by carpets to seeing Bolin's pythons and more designer chondros than you can even handle. I mean, it was a drastic change from what I was used to, and it, I just immediately got sucked in. And uh, so, yeah, after I got a animal from James, it just uh, like kind of started the spiral. I mean, then I uh. Quickly got obsessed with the lineages and bloodlines. I mean, that's kind of what really uh, kicked it off for me. Um, like I said, I was acquiring a lot of animals. I mean, picked up a few last year or uh, this year as it's coming to a close. But I ended up getting an animal um, from Tim Morris because uh, James told me to buy it. And I quickly learned uh, my lesson from not buying uh, snakes James tells me to. He who hesitates masturbates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so yeah after uh <clears throat> called tim and uh after a four-hour conversation and uh more information than i can handle uh i, I just became absolutely <laughs> obsessed and uh yeah that's a really nice uh snake that's one of the animals that tim and cody produce we'll oh, get it yeah and Man. uh so now, I mean, I'm just working with, uh, I mean, I've trimmed down my collection dramatically. I'm probably working with around uh, 30 animals now, um, as opposed to a great collection um, of a lot of stuff. And uh, yeah, you got a lot of so, cool stuff. You got smoking jungles. You got the Moluccans. You got, you know, the green trees. You got <laughs> emeralds. Yeah, so I mean, you got, you got the, the cool, you got the spread, man. Yeah, so I mean, I uh, had a wide variety. I had a ton of different species going on, and uh, after uh, kind of listening to everything James is saying, you know, because uh, I mean, I was kind of the person I'm looking up to, and uh, I uh, quickly, you know, just uh, decided that I need to trim down what I'm working with, and I'm exclusively working with uh, jungles. Um, I have a couple adult pairs. I mean, that's kind of my uh, what I have going on right now, breeding wise. Um, and then I got a nice pair of diamonds. Um, then I got the chondras, obviously. Um, and I got uh, some Malukans. So 
favorites. Yeah. Yeah, those are nice, dude. The Malukans also start an entirely different fire, but it, uh, oh, it all kind of ties in together. Yeah. Jake keeps talking about how bad he wants another scrub, and he's like, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, it's not something I want to do right now, but I want to do it right now. Like, I want <laughs> I mean, in my search, you know, because uh, Malukans are so uh, don't pop up now. I won't uh, try and not get carried away with these around the counter cast, but <laughs> and uh, but yeah, the Malukans really uh, got me going. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't like those. Right, <clears throat> doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. It was cool to uh, hang out with Tim at Daytona uh, at. Daytona and stuff, man, because he was a name, because admittedly, with a lot of the lines and stuff, I'm not too hip to a lot of the, sort of the background on him and whatnot, but Tim Morris is a name that you hear a lot if you spend any decent amount of time in the Condro corner of things. If you want a and, blue uh, snake, you know who Tim Morris right. is. Right, and so, That's like, getting the, Morris. Right. But he He'll was, pimp slap a bitch. Getting to hang out with him, man, was cool. He was super down to earth. I felt like an idiot though, because I was like, "Hey, what do you know? What you what you produce last year? You know, recently." He's like, "I haven't produced a snake in like ten years, dude." That's not true. He like... he pre-produced. Uh, he like works uh, with a bunch of different stuff, like hognose snakes. Well, I meant like chondros. Yeah. Well, was like, yeah. Oh, he's like, yeah, I, I I haven't done that in years. So I was like, oh, oh okay, I'll just go fuck myself. <laughs> He did, he did so much with them, though. It's like, right? You know, he. I think he just found more interest in trying different species. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. got northern pines. He has hognose, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I remember him eyeballing a bunch of stuff at Daytona. Like every time I pass by him, he's like, "Man, there's this really nice pair of these over here." You know, I'm like, "Damn, this dude likes it all." He bought a rainbow. Uh, yeah, Brazilian. that's right. He got well, yeah, from Trace, <clears throat> and he got a corn snake. <laughs> yeah, going back to his roots. Yeah, you're never too cool or too up there for for corns. I love them, man. There were some beautiful ones at that show, like just legitimate straight Okatee. Yeah, Lee. I got to talk to Lee Abbott for a few minutes while I was there, and I told him I was like, man, I said I don't. There's so many morphs in this building right now, I said, but I will take your line of Okatees over any of that yeah. stuff any day. That's why, like, even with the boa constrictors that are all over the place, every morph imaginable, I love the pure locality Peruvian, Suriname, yes. Guianas. And those are, like, that's the stuff that I like. And it's hard to find that kind mm-hmm. of stuff in good quality anymore. Yeah, you definitely don't, especially with boas, it seems like you don't see many people really focusing on that. Because I remember the heyday of, like, Bolivians and stuff, where Bolivians were, mm-hmm. you know, the thing. And, uh, you know, you, def- you definitely don't see that as much. You don't even really see Argentine boas as much anymore as you used to. There's a locality group for boas on Facebook, and there are some people that have some really nice stuff, but um, you don't see it mainstream mm-hmm. anywhere. So what, what are we uh what's yeah sorry yeah um so james going back to you how are you keeping yours as far as juveniles to that awkward sort of sub-adult stage to you know where they're they're too big for the rack but they're too small for an adult setup and then how are you keeping your adults because you you built all your cages correct 
Yeah, I just stuff those sub adults right into a baby bin and fucking make them stay in there for like three years. <laughs> <laughs> Simple solution. No, no, I mean, I'll keep the the neos up to it, up to a year in in those baby racks because they're at that weird stage, like you said, where they're they're getting a little too big for the right. perch and and. But if I throw them into something like uh, a sub adult, I have some sub adult uh, racks that I built that are for, with just larger bins with just two basic perches mm-hmm. and back heat, radiant heat from the rear on a perp stat, and they work fine. Yeah, and it, that's a radiant heat panel at the back of the rack, just to clarify that, not heat tape. <clears throat> um, so. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll keep them in these in the neo racks that I built uh, a little longer, depending on, you know, what their temperaments are. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some that are a little more shy than others. And then I'm like, well, they're going to not do as well right away. Or most of the time, it's like they don't skip a beat Yeah. because what I'll do, even even if you were to get a new animal in, like I'll. I'll try to feed the thing like the same, the same day sometimes, depending on, and 99% of the time they'll eat. Uh, like the you Tommy Budway animal. Yeah. Thing. Tommy was a little pissed. See, I do that Tommy. though. And Jake, me and Jake disagree about that all the time. Like Jake likes to let his sit for a few days. Me, I'm like, Hey, it's in, is it due to eat? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to try and feed it. Well, if it's due to eat and it's just traveled and you put it somewhere and it finally settles in and it may not even realize where it is or, yeah. or if it's, you know, it's not, it's, it's so new to it that maybe it's like, Oh, it's nighttime. It, right. It's not nighttime. I'm somewhere else. It's, it's nighttime. I'm going to eat. So, but I got one in from Tommy that Tommy could not get this freaking thing eating. <laughs> and he, he, he's like, yo man, I'm going to send it to you and get it. You get it going. And I took it out of the box. I put it in the rack. Two hours later, I offered it food and it ate. <laughs> and, um, and I was, and he was like, what the, f-? he's yeah. like, you're full of shit. And Andy was laughing his ass off because <clears throat> he was like, no, man, it's eating right now. Yeah, no, Riley Jimison did that same thing to me. He had this little uh, pop one carpet that he had hatched and it hasn't eaten on its own like since the day it had hatched and he had had it for i don't know maybe two or three months and he's like hey if you know if you want it you can have it i'll send it in with jake's stuff you can try it out i got it hadn't even been here like 45 minutes i had that thing taking a fuzzy down yep i, I, I honestly picture. i was think, like dude there's nothing wrong with this thing and he said the I same think thing it's it's just a change of venue honestly i i fe- i had a uh, one of the first uh animals that i got from keith thompson it was a, a female and it was a it was a sibling to Waldo that was like a pretty cool animal. And uh, this thing would not eat. It was going on 10 months. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell to do. I had it in a vision cage originally, a 222 vision. Nice setup. It didn't have any interest in eating. I then took it and put it in a tub and it's still nothing. I took it in a tub and put it in the vision cage, you know, and then I was like, well, I don't know. I, I found somebody had these old Maxwell style cages. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, this was like a pretty beat rundown old setup. And I just had it sitting there. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to put it in here. Right. It's not going to hurt to it, try. It, 
it ate within an hour of being in that enclosure. It was the it was just some animals just need to they're like insecure or you know I've I've had some animals that you walk by and they flop off the perch like they just you just hear them like thunk you know and it just takes a little time for them to get used to a routine mm-hmm. um but once I get them from the um baby rack to the sub adult bins that are just like a, a tub system because i haven't i mean i did build some sub-adult animal you know some racks for them but i i didn't use them as much because i never had like enough of them to run that whole system i built so i had usually i'd keep like six a year and raise them up so that i only had the one rack of the animals i was keeping Mm -hmm. so and then i would swap them into these adult enclosures which i have like a basically like a 20 by 20 by 20 20 by 20 by 18 deep cube for males and then for females i do uh like a 18 or 20 high by i think they're about 26 long and 18 inches deep Mm -hmm. and those all have radiant heat panels and they have uh uh, fluorescent lights set up with uh, removable perches and then I have a uh, herp stat four on each stack. So those are fully nice, nice insulated three quarter inch thick walls. And I just have a whole wall of them, you know. Now building cages, though, what being a, you know, you're a woodworker by trade. Um, <laughs> uh, well, what kind of like what what sort of you you put up? A- some sort of sealant on the wood, right? When you're doing that. Well, these, these enclosures, I use like a, a high quality uh, furniture grade three quarter inch plywood. Mm-hmm. I then, I then make face frames for them and the other components for the face panels and the structure. Um, I do like a, a water-based poly and a stain custom stain on the outsides. On the insides, I use a, exterior sign grade vinyl that's rated for like i don't know seven years outside in the elements Mm -hmm. so i have to apply this vinyl on the interior of them and then i put all the components in but i i start to lay this in from the bottom up so they're like completely waterproof on the inside right so i think like the the rack that we're staring the stacks that we're staring at right now um these I've been using for like the last eight years. They mm-hmm. they they don't look shabby at all. I mean they they're holding up a hundred percent into a lot. You know, heat fluctuation, UV, um, a lot of misting going on, snake shit slinging. I mean, <laughs> cave paintings. <clears throat> yeah so they they do good i mean the the size and dimensions you know i i've gone over all this stuff with christian um a number of times as to what he thought were ideal sizes for keeping and breeding and i i do like these dimensions the heat panel um on the one side and the length of the enclosure does make a nice gradient mm-hmm um so i think the gradients within these enclosures are 
you know, some of them I, I keep a little different, but the basic is, you know, I keep it around 86.5 to 87 on the hot side, right under the panel. And then to the right, if I temp gun over there, it's usually around like 81. Okay. Um, so, and then the animal, I mean, I'll have the front, the, there's two perches. I'll have the, the, the high perch is to the back further mm-hmm. and is about four inches under the panel. <clears throat> and then the, the other perch is probably about four to five inches lower and slightly forward normally. So they, they can move where they want. I do have some that will, you know, they don't always gravitate to the top perch, but m- most of the time they yeah, do. Yeah, I've got some that I give them the option of having multiple perches and they just, they don't use them. I, I mean, it depends. Like, I, the, it's interesting that the way that I set them up, the, when they're in hunting mode, especially, they like to, to hang down and rest half their body, like, on that yeah, front yeah. or perch. My female uh-huh. does that a lot. She wraps around, like, the water bowl. <clears throat> she'll just sit there, and then I'll see her adjust a little bit. And It's funny. I was thinking about that the other night, actually, because I know in the wild uh, they found them. You know, they, at night they come down from wherever they're at wrap around the base of a tree and sort of just sit there and wait. And I realized the other night when I was looking at my female who was doing that same thing, just wrapped around her water bowl, like that's what she was doing. And it was pretty yeah. interesting to see. Like that's that they don't have a tree, but that's, you know, she's, it's a very similar behavior and she'll sit like that for hours. And the male just kind of sits weird, there and there's ignores There's some her. oddballs <clears throat> for sure. I mean, there's there's the I, the Aru male and I think the first male I told you about that I had years ago, those two would come down at lights out, and this was in particular these two males they did it all the time. <clears throat> they would go down into the water bowl, and they would blow bubbles under with their whole head underwater. <laughs> they would just sit there blowing bubbles for about five to ten minutes at a time at almost every night but the weird thing is both of those snakes lived to 20 years and 18 years old it's like i don't know what the hell they were doing but maybe they were cleaning out their sinuses because they 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 literally never had ri or anything close to it in all the time that i had them mm-hmm. and it was just uh, awesome. weird yeah they're some weird they're weird they're odd snakes they're retarded there are some retarded ones, that's for sure. Some serious special needs animals here. That's why I don't keep any of my neos on paper towel anymore. Yeah, they do like to grab the paper towel. Yeah, I mean, just even, I mean, I'm typically working my collection later in the evening, uh, getting home from work around seven, whatnot. So lights are out, um, everything's in hunting uh, position. It doesn't make it fun to clean, but it's a pretty easy feeding time. But, um, yeah, I mean, just walking around in there, uh, just moving tubs and whatnot. The little neos are grabbing, you know, they're launching themselves at the tubs and movement at anything. And I mean, James is seeing it at my house, even just walking into the room. Uh, the little Thomas Pudway neo wrapped up with the paper towel and tapping on multiple occasions. So I just uh, completely opted to pull it out. Um, so what are you using the substrate now? I just have a bare tub. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, I've had one mishap with paper towels so far, thankfully. that's And it actually ingested a pretty decent chunk of it, but then after about a week, it uh, it it gave it back. So 
And I still have that snake. It's still doing great. Yeah, with my... So uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's uh, just being there to catch it is the thing. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I've seen enough horror stories on the MVF and on Facebook, so... Yeah, yeah don't need to learn that lesson the hard way. But uh. it sucks, man. There was it's there was a good bit of panic when that happened because what happened? I had offered it. It was this is when she was still small, and I offered her a live pinky, and I put it in the tub and forgot about it. And well, not forgot about it, but I sat there and watched her, and she grabbed it, and she, of course, just as I was realizing what was probably about to happen, she grabbed it, and of course wrapped paper towel. And so then I tried to like tear the paper towel to to get it out. And she ended up holding on to a little piece of it. And I was like, okay, well, it'll just fall off as it's eating, whatever. Came back, paper towel, and the pinky were gone. And I was like, <laughs> crap, man. And so you I know just... What, you know what Cody would have said? God, God damn, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just left it for a few days. I was like, you know, it's going to either digest it or it's going to give it back. And sure enough, she gave it back. And then I gave her about a week or two off from food from there. And she went right back to eating, and she's still kicking now. I still got her, so I got lucky. Did she shit it. She shit it out. No, no, she she regurgitated it. Just that, not the mouse. Yeah. Interesting. Isn't that strange? I think I have a picture of it somewhere. I'll have to send it to you in the group chat. Oh, that's awesome. But it was it was bigger than like the size of a quarter. It was a it was a decent piece. Mm. And yeah, I mean, none of it was digested either. Like there wasn't. There was a little bit of discoloration. Other than that, like, it was odd. It was very bizarre. I was expecting it to be at least somewhat distorted or broken down or something, but it wasn't at all. Because of all the good glue they use. That's right. <laughs> it easily could have gotten caught on the teeth or something and gone down after the paint. Yeah, that's down. possible. Uh, like I said, I got lucky. So I haven't had an issue yeah. since. Hoping I don't have but that yeah. issue again. So, yeah, my Neos up to one-year-olds are on uh, bear tubs. And then uh, after that, I move them up to the Cambro. Uh, I believe it's 12 by 18 by 10. I believe that's what it is. It's the, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the small, medium-sized Cambro. It's not the big one. And, uh, yeah, I use, at this time of year, I'm putting Reptichip on the bottom. And then I put paper towel along the top. Um, and I... Uh, just spray it before I put the paper towel around and it kind of hugs the bottom of the tub. If mm -hmm. that makes any sense yeah. above the reptichip, just the, I mean, the void, whatever. I mean, people say about it. I mean, I've, I, I haven't seen anything come to close once the larger animals kind of get their shit together and mm -hmm. <laughs> figure the world out. And uh, so, I mean, I don't, in my experiences so far, I mean, I haven't seen much of a reason for concern, but eh, might as well take the precaution and, I've had more, I've had more trouble. Like I had one animal, I mean, I have everything on paper towels except for a couple that I'm going to put on some cypress mulch because I just feel that they're going to do a little better off of the higher humidity overall. Yep. <clears throat> but, um, I had one animal that was nothing to do with paper towels. The thing ate the mouse backwards and it got it about three quarters of the way down and um down its throat it was it was probably like a good foot down and then it just you could see the animals start panicking it couldn't get it down any further it got caught on something so it started to kind of corkscrew to try to get it back out mm -hmm. it 
was able to throw it back up. And then I was like, all right, that's enough bullshit eating for you, you idiot. <laughs> and um, so, you know, a day went by and the thing's perching fine. And um, then the next two days later, I didn't think anything of it because it didn't look like it was out of sorts at all. Right. And uh, I just noticed a little dark speck around the outside of its lip. And uh, so I was like, what the hell is that? So I went in there and I just gave it a little poke to get it to move. And it just spit up a pile of blood. Jeez. And uh, it had been internal bleeding, yeah. I guess, for like two like days. Scratch straight. or something? Yeah, it, it, it ripped, ripped something open. And, and, it, and I mean, I, I started trying to wash it. I mean, it was coagulated blood. So mm. it was like, it was horrible. And uh, I think I have a video of that whole scenario as it unfolded. But it had so much blood loss actually that it, it died like quickly after i pulled it out and started to clean it out and that so you know you know these things get themselves into stupid situations yeah. and cause stupid trouble for themselves a lot you know they're, but they're, then there's some that are just perfect you they're know murphy's they're, law man like anything yeah always the blue ones <laughs> But I, that's, I'm, I do, I need to make a rack for that. Cause mine in betweeners right now, the ones that are like we talked mm-hmm. about that are too small and too big at the same time, I have them in like 20 quart tubs right now. And those are working cause they've got, they've got back heat, but I w- it would be nice to have a rack cause I've got a bunch, so a bunch of smaller stuff right now that's going to be getting to the same size at the same time. Well, these are in tubs that the ones that I have, yeah. I think they're in about a 20 quart. But it's in like just like a a shelf system that I built that has two on each level Mm -hmm. and it works pretty good. Justin, are your uh, tubs enclosed, um, whether it's a rack system or by any other means, or is it just, uh, you know, sitting out? The in-betweeners, those are actually just on the shelf. Those aren't in a rack. Those are right next to each other. And that's the two animals that I got from Luke. Um. But like like P and Cody have that nice Cambro rack that they have some of their stuff in. Um, yeah, I like and that. I, you know something like that. I want to do something similar, but I'm not super handy with building things. Yeah, I'm <laughs> loving my camera racks. I just got a bunch of those purchased from John Irby. I like Cambros, man. They're just so damn expensive. Uh, I mean the tubs. Ah, they're just great. Do you guys have somewhere you buy them in particular? I most websites, it, you have to buy them in, like, a minimum of, like, three no, or five no. or something. I got mine on, like, a restaurant web store or something along those lines, and they're, uh, like, 23 bucks each. Uh, free shipping, because it was over 100 bucks, I believe, or something along those lines. So, it, it was pretty reasonable. Okay. I think I was looking on there at one point, and it said you had, like, you could pay for one and pay out the ass for it, or you could buy like six it's and the, get a discount yeah it's the pvc uh manufacturers that will upcharge you for the custom build but they might have like a similar product at like the container store or something yeah maybe not this as as resilient to like i mean those are like food grade like mm-hmm. they're, they're not you could drop them and they're not gonna freaking crack on that's you. how i separated them when i first got them because they were just, <laughs> just stuck dropped. together and I just, <laughs> just beat them against the floor just Threw knocked them. them out of the table and i just came right apart <laughs> like a 
so what are y'all's feeding schedules like? How often are you um, feeding your stuff? Well, actually, here's the question I really want to know because I'm kind of at this point. I've switched over some of my smaller stuff to fuzzies. Mm-hmm. What's your feeding schedule once you've moved them onto fuzzies? Do you still feed them every like five days, or do you kick them back to like once a week? Uh, maybe once a week because you know they're getting a little larger food item, and it's going to take them maybe a little bit longer to start breaking it down. But you know, to be honest, I feel. A lot of them, when they hit that size, their metabolism actually, they're they're absorbing a lot and they're growing quickly. Right. Um, so like once a week, every that was, ten days. That was kind of my thinking. Like they're high metabolism at that stage, so to kind of take your foot off the gas as far as feeding. Yeah. Once they once they start so, taking you know. off and like you're opening the enclosure and they're just lunging out at you, like they're they're like starting to crank out weight. You know, they're, um, geez, I, I, I guess when I first start them out, I'm feeding those babies like every five days, mm-hmm. like clockwork. And then once I get them to like a, what I will do is I won't, um, step them up to fuzzies right away. What I sometimes do is I'll give them, I'll go from one pink to two pinks to fuzzies. Okay. And then from there, just they all kind of take off at different paces. So, um, you know, there's no no hard, fast rules, I guess, when it comes to, you know, how much you're going to feed them. But, I mean, the guideline that I go by is roughly babies every five days. Um, and then the when they get to the fuzzies or hoppers, like I do every seven to ten, I feed the adults like every ten days. And are you are you a mouse guy? Do you do rats at all? I am, but I I used to feed a lot of rats. I used to feed my big monster Aru rats, and uh, I had a big Biakus like rats, and um, you know a lot of these big females they'll take a big rat and love it, and you know there I I don't think one way or another that there's any problem with mm-hmm. feeding one or the other. I almost feel like you know the the rats have a, a a larger bone structure at an earlier age. I don't know if that has anything to do with uh, a difference in the diet or not, but I feel maybe it does. You know, there's no, uh, I don't know of anybody that's done any actual true scientific work on it because you'd have to have a control group to do it. Right. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm almost... I'm almost leaning towards I would like to switch to rats. <clears throat> I mean, you know, I, I think it's, it's like to mix it up is not a bad idea. I feel like the whole, you know, you either do rats or you either do mice thing is kind of. Well, the thing I don't like about mice is that, you know, I, what I usually do now is I don't buy those jumbo X breeders, which are like right. deflated freaking meat bags. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> Just a sock of the tail. Well, it's like a big fat like globule of like you know deflated protein or something. I mean, yeah, it's a retired breeder. Yeah, so I feel like it's been just this used up thing that's like hit the wall and they need to get rid of it. Right. And it's like you pay extra to get these bigger jumbo mice, and that's what they are. Or I feed two adult mice to the females instead. So what I usually do is feed them two. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I think when you're buying a, a, a weaned rat that's younger and still in the prime of its life, that you're getting a, a higher quality of uh, nutritional value potentially. It's interesting, you know, because I mean, you're talking about moving an animal up to mice. Um, it, it's kind of a pattern, I guess. Um, you, you know, talking about being mindful about uh, bone structure and the younger animals you're feeding, mm-hmm. such as the fuzzy mice you mentioned. And then, uh, I mean, naturally, as the animal grows, I mean, you're moving up prey size and eventually you're stuck with, a, you know, a deflated thing of, fat, <laughs> thing of fat, you know, that's cranked out more litters than, you know, anything else. But I mean, it's like the freaking life force have been sucked right out of them by like eight yeah, litters of babies. You no know, nutritional like... value left in them. They've just been sucked dry, literally. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just... thinking about um, potentially starting to raise up a ratropolis of my own. <laughs> I, I have one rack that I might get going that um, that I've wanted to. And I just feel like, you know, the mice are a bigger pain in the ass to do that with. And Yeah, I hear I that a lot. I, was... I hear that rats, like rats, breeding-wise, rats are a lot less of a headache than mice are. <clears throat> You have to talk to one of the rat masters about that, but I've raised rats and mice, and I, I know that I, I just mice are little assholes for one thing. Like, I, <laughs> like rats are kind of nice and not so like bitey and jumpy and shit, and it's like they're just easier to deal with. And, um, what was I gonna say? Okay, got it. Um, so anyhow, we're just, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking about that, and maybe even doing the soft furs, a small colony of soft furs. I like those, you know, because they are one. They they have fur at birth, you know. So you're talking about a more developed prey item. I mean, yeah. Solution, but... I mean, I I think that you could potentially diversify the um the amount of different food products that you could get into these animals with different results and. I mean, it's weird. I've tried a couple of different things with baby chondros and I mean the the pinks with the with the chick down actually work the best if if you can't get one to take them, take it right off yeah. just a, a pink. I mean, there's some clutches that I've had, many of them that they just will take a a frozen thawed pink easily with no scent or anything and you know, that's I, I think I can get most of them to do to grab without the scent. And um, there's some that need the scent a little bit, but you can easily get them off of that within like a feet or two mm-hmm. once they get the rhythm. But mm-hmm. the, one of the hardest things that I've found a lot of people have. And I guess there's just no way to to convey it is the. uh how to feed these things, you know, when they're, when they're little neonates like that, some people just aren't presenting it right. Or their rhythm is right. It is, I guess it's just with anything, it takes a little bit of, of practice and seeing how these animals uh, react to what you're doing with mm-hmm. them. And it's like, it's like any type of animal, you have to be able to read these animals and um, it's just kind of, you get used to it. But 
I mean, looking at different videos, I think Rico and some other people had done some good videos on it. And uh, But I think people get stuck with these animals that they get. And then you get these posts of like, oh, help me, you know, what's wrong? You know, it's because it potentially could be fucked from the beginning. And it's like you just you have to play catch up from there, you know. Definitely. Like, if the animal was dehydrated when you got this little thing from Petco or something, you know, you got to get the animal hydrated and, and acclimated and, and rested, you know, so it can actually have the feeling of it wants to eat as opposed to like, oh, my yeah. God, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you wait when you as far as first hatching out a clutch or you do you wait when you offer them that first meal or do you like to, to try them? pretty much I, I i wait till they do their first shed okay yeah i wait till their first shed and um because i feel like if that that some to some extent that shed can be constrictive and uh yeah yeah i didn't think about that. yeah it could be if they're if i mean most of these animals aren't too bad with the first shed you definitely got to keep them a little bit really a higher humidity to to make sure that first shed comes off well because if that first shed doesn't come off well you just can have a spiraling problem from there um but i think they're more alert like they're they're more alert after that first shed and they just feel like they're ready to go as opposed to i I wouldn't want to try to you know tease feed the animals before that But if you present it right, there's little tricks that you can do. And, you know, um, if you get them going with that right away, I mean, there's nothing stopping them, really. I mean, I've never had major problems with neonates having any sort of respiratory problems. I mean, these things are pretty, you know, pretty resilient if they're given just basic parameters to thrive in, you know. Absolutely temperature and humidity and 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 you know food at the right time so um yeah food at the right time is a good point yeah um i I mean i've always been kind of um held off when it comes to feeding um with my i just kind of carried over from carpets a bit i mean i feed my um neonates you know every seven to ten days it's typically closer to ten always falls on nine usually but um and then uh everything camber racks uh, a year and a half or older is every 14 days at the minimum um but yeah i've just kind of kept things a bit cooler in temps wise i mean the animals the green trees and the racks are they're kept at uh, around 83 with an ambient and a 78 Mm-hmm. Um, this time of year, I, I do cycle everything. Um, so I, I mean, definitely not as dramatic as I do the adults. Uh, so I'm dropping down to 78 at night and that's for 10 hours a night, um, for the neonates anyways. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, they've kind of just been slow growers, but, uh, I, I mean, I've quickly picked up on that. Uh, you kind of really got to meet, um, these, uh, I mean, um, milestones, uh, what have you, you know, yeah. or else they're just going to be stuck behind the flock. Right. I mean, I've seen that with the 
animals I've picked up, you know, and then uh, their clutch mates are triple the size um, and kind of stuff like that. And I feel like that's just because, uh, I mean, with Morelli as a whole, I mean, if you're just not getting them the food at the right time as a, as a younger animal, I mean, you just can't pull off, you know, um, because they, they just won't get big. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been kind of labeled as a midget farmer you know people, <laughs> people get animals from me you know and they're they're very small but uh i mean with the conjures james has uh started to talk some sense in me a little bit after taking a look at my clutch mates to some of the stuff over here so i'm uh slowly picking up on that um i mean i think also like there's you know people talk about oh these you know conjures should be bigger or smaller i, I think a lot of these <laughs> localities or there's different sizes in the adult finished product essentially i mean i've seen really monster beox and really big arus and even some of the the kofus and stuff get quite big but the most of the highland animals you know are just a good bit smaller yeah but then i've had some i've done some outcross stuff where like the highland beox they're they're quite good size um and really some of like the most resilient hardy animals that that i've produced um i love the highland biot crosses i think you get some killer stuff out of those the highland animals are you know we're what we're going on third third generation now uh captive bred highland type animals mm-hmm so, I mean, and they're all producing, like, you know, the, the Highland Wemanas, I had two clutches. Um, what, who else had another clutch? John, John Irby used the one female. The Joe girl. Yeah, who with uh, Soul Train, I think, and had a nice clutch from her. And then somebody else just posted a uh, um, yeah, Michael yeah. Uh, Morando just had a clutch i mean this... from uh sorry that was that was the that might not have been that was the terry phillip the terry phillip blue manicure yeah blue manicure joey sabian yeah hmm. but the highland stuff i i like working with it but yeah. yeah i mean the james highland strain is just uh i mean at least what he's working with is just throwing some very melanistic stuff i mean the uh, that lag of the animals kind of also it sucked me in after seeing a picture James showed to me. And, yeah, um, Christian um, produced a really nice clutch with the uh, Serac, which is a crazy Lucy um, animal. And uh, Serac was bred to Lagatha that I sent down to him. And uh, Lagatha was from a Keith Thompson blue and black bloodline crossed with a Highland male that was undocumented and that's how i got her and she was said some really nice uh melanism and some beautiful blues she was a great snake and um so i used that same male to produce these highland type animals and uh the highland beox i produced were also from that undocumented male so I got really great highlands that had some like nice melanism as well as uh, the Highland Beox, which turned out like high yellow type calico looking animals from reds. Um, 
also noteworthy on my observations is the, um, I mean, higher phenotype females I see coming out of this. Um, just because, I mean, a high black female is pretty much non-existent to an extent. I mean, there's a, but uh, I mean, some of the high black animals, I mean, Luke Myers is an extreme high black animal. Um, oh, that, yeah, LFA. And that's from Serac Lagatha. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that was the holdback that I turned down at the last second. <laughs> that was my first pick, and I and I switched it to the one I have. Christian knew. He's like, yeah, that's the one I would pick. And as soon as I was like, you know what? I changed my mind. He's like, I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm kind of building up my collection and uh, having James nearby is kind of a recipe for disaster. Uh, mm-hmm. I tend to be here way too often picking up snakes. But, uh, yeah, my uh, dream, I guess, or uh, the project that I uh, want to see through the most is being able to cross the highland. I mean, uh maybe descendants of the lag of the stuff to the 05188 stuff. Oh um, yeah. That'd be awesome. Just cause you know, I, I mean, they've proven very consistent results and mm-hmm. I think it would be a really good mix of lumblines um, just in terms of throwing melanistic animals. Now, James as in... well as, I mean, the blue and then the, the Serac lag of the stuff is so diverse. I mean, yeah. it's, you can't even consider it like an outcross per se. But. In terms of breeding, though, do you do any cycling, James, or anything like that? Food cycling, temp cycling? Um, yeah, I drop the nighttime temps uh, starting around October 1st. I'll start dropping them down at night, the males and females that I'm going to choose for breeding for the season. And, uh, Basically, I drop them down to around like 75, 74. I used to go a little cooler, but I kind of figured there's really no reason to mm-hmm. do that. Um, and I, I, I'll hold off food for some of the males or I'll just completely be like, you're never eating again for the males that aren't <laughs> doing shit. Because they're like, <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Like, I'll cool them, and they just want to eat, or they'll cruise, but they still just want to eat. And it's, uh, some males go off food, some don't. I mean, but uh, I'll do the cycling for about uh, a, a month, and then I usually around uh, um, November 1st, I'll pair stuff up. And uh, and usually you'll get some good results right away, and some males are just... Uh, be completely worthless like this one <laughs> you can eat when you do your job yeah do your job you too good for your job <laughs> have you done any uh maternal incubation i you know i haven't and uh i'd always like to and i just kind of i i i almost want to set up a more naturalized type of a thing if i'm going to do it mm-hmm. you know and really document it almost like a uh like a bioactive scenario where I have it as, as, as well to nature as possible. And do you know, do you know if anybody's, I don't know if Daniel documented or not, but had he found any uh, females in the wild on eggs? I don't know. I never, I didn't ask him that. I should have though. That's a good one. Because people always talk about, Oh yeah, they go in a hole in a tree and right. You know, that's where the Zula channel. Three months. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel almost like that's not a re- a, a, a real, you know, where did that come from that they mm-hmm. find like a hollow tree? I, I almost have more of the the thought that they probably burrow into under leaf litter and just coil up and the water whips off of them and yeah. they use that biomass to heat up their eggs, you know, that compost. Yeah, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to try it, but I'm I'm too scared to do it. Well, I I mean I would like to try. I mean <clears throat> right now I'm just trying to get these things to put it in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, I don't know. It's weird. I've never had this trouble before. It's kind of odd. I usually have males that are that are doing their job, mm-hmm. do their big job. Um, but yeah, I'll cycle them down and pair them up and and hopefully you know these males i mean maybe it's just not the right time for the female i mean this male is flopping around and they're cruising around like an idiot and she's just like <laughs> get away from me dude. she hasn't yeah. bit his head off it's like yeah it's it's weird because i mean like i was saying before before we started you know my my male i put him in last year and he went straight to it and he was like hey look a girl you know chased her I mean, around I, he wouldn't leave her alone and then i put him in a couple days ago he's been in there for i think about a week now and he cruises at night and she just kind of sits there and then during the day he'll cruise a little bit but for the most part they just they spend opposite time you know they're at opposite ends of the of the setup and i noticed they did that last year because when i bred them the first time i pretty much just kept them together for a couple months because i know uh, that you know he's gonna figure it out better than i will he's gonna know when she's ready and uh well that's what i figure if you keep them in long enough eventually if the female starts to grow follicles you know they're gonna respond to it and but some males like i i just put that highland male in with the second i did a repeat pairing with the two highland animals and he locked right up with the first girl she ovulated the other day so he's on to a second female i'm doing a highland bioc pairing and he he pursued her and you know got her fucking down on the ground like that night she wasn't having it (laughs) pinned her down it was like it was like wee man going after like the stay puff marshmallow woman or something (laughs) it's pretty horrible it's horrible thing to watch but but he's locked up with her right now again you know what was interesting last year when i paired him though is you know they they go through these spurts where they'd, you know, he'd be all over her, and then they'd separate for, like, two weeks. And then, you know, a low-pressure system and some rain would come in, and they'd be right back at it. And then they'd go back to their opposite ends. And it's just, I just, I don't know. I know he's going to he's gonna know when she's ready better than I will. So, I'm just letting, yeah, I just I mean, let him do his thing. I'm not in any hurry, you know. They don't have, uh, either of you seen, uh, I mean, stronger activity from the male, I mean, uh, after a mist or so? I some what I usually do to introduce them is, you know, during whatever time of day, I'm going to try to get them in at least a couple of hours before lights out. Mm-hmm. But when I do introduce them, I'll usually spray down the, the female hard. I just want her for the most part, if, if there is any response, I want her to tuck her head under. Yeah. And then I'll and then I'll put him in after I've sprayed her down a bit and sprayed the enclosure. But I'll also sometimes I take uh, 
the fresh sheds from the females when they're mm-hmm. fresh. And then I'll put them in a Ziploc bag in the freezer and label them for which animal they came from. And then I'll take those sheds and put them back in before I get the mail in there and, and spray the sheds down. I don't know if it works or not, but I've had quite a, a good amount of success with a lot of them. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I haven't done that with these three freaking imbeciles here that aren't doing anything right now. <laughs> Yeah, find them from sheds. Um, so yeah, I mean the the this temperature cycling is one thing you can do. The food cycling. Um, were you talking about uh, designer designer? Yeah, well, I wanted to get into that too, but I want to run over incubation real quick too. Uh, okay. You know what do you what's your what's your usual rundown with that? Um, you know, I, so normally I have, um, more than one clutch, right? So I have one incubator. That's a good size incubator. But if I was to do like a, a temperature beginning temp and then climb it up and then have it drop again at the end, it's not a realistic thing with a single incubator. So I just do like a straight straight bake essentially at like 87.2 degrees fahrenheit mm-hmm. and i keep it almost you know 100 percent humidity in there i use uh you know just a, a big scientific incubator that i basically hooked up with a herbstat has a glass viewing door i you know a lot of people have different methods of you know where they put the probe or you know where the the water bins are to spike up the humidity you know i put some water bins over the uh one of the areas that have heat tape under a grate and that cranks the humidity right up and i just use the uh i have some plastic bins that i utilize from uh the container store which are almost like a cambro bin Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I do the non-substrate method and it's worked pretty good most of the time. And, you know, sometimes you get good clutches. Sometimes you get clutches that go into the fucking pickle jar. <laughs> I'm going to make a lava lamp out of them. <laughs> <laughs> just, just bottles of, like, <laughs> half-hatched. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's weird, though, because, like, I've had, like, four or five clutches in the incubator at one time, and I'll have some clutches that come out perfectly, hatch on their own, all perfect animals, and there's some, you know, that have had issues in the developmental process, and they don't get out of the egg or or, or weak coming out of the egg, and it's weird. I, 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 you know, I have to really think about this some more as far as incubation and um it it's it's just a hard thing to try to figure out what went wrong right um, you know some animals in a clutch will be perfect and some will have like a, a skin fold or a, or a small eye or something and it's like i don't know you know unless again if unless you have data and a control group and all these things there's no way that you can prove that it's genetic or if it was an incubation problem Mm -hmm. i i almost feel 
I'm going to maybe change things up in the incubation process this year, but um, I almost feel like some of these things are, um, if I have multiple clutches in the incubator and some of them are starting to actually, you know, generate their own heat. Like if I, you know, this last two weeks of incubation, like those, some of those eggs start to like really, well, they'll essentially sweat. Like you need to, start opening up the container a little bit and, mm -hmm. and letting a little bit more air cycle through. Um, and that's like a fine line because if you do too much, they can dry out. Um, so it's just a matter of trying to find that happy medium, but it's like, I'm, I'm really not sure what happens in the incubator sometimes because if I have four or five clutches in there at different stages, I don't know how, what kind of changes could be going on between these clutches that right. they're they're making changes that could affect the other clutch but i don't know if that makes any sense or not or if it's just something that i'm just thinking about now but i mean i i do have the most important thing to have in these incubators is a very very fine stability so there's no fluctuation in the temperature yeah at all I mean, as far as what my equipment is reading, I don't really have any fluctuation between, you know, like two tenths of a degree, you know, and that's pretty close, you know, yeah, that's pretty, yeah. pretty good. And, um, but there is, I mean, I have a, a small fan going in there and there is about from the top of the incubator, from one shelf to the other, there's probably, uh, one degree difference but you know i'm using both of those shelves so normally i get my my animals are hatching out on like day 53 or around there okay. some people have stuff hatching out on day 49 but right you know do you cut uh, yours or you let them do their thing if they're meant to be they're meant to be well i hope i always like to have them pipped open and if they start pipping i'll let them pip for like the first 12 hours mm -hmm. and if they don't all pip by 12 hours i'll i'll pip them but i'll just check to see if they're alive in there right. you know and uh that's it and if, if i pip them open and let everybody come out on their own sometimes you'll have uh you know, I've experienced this more than a couple of times with different clutches is uh, you'll get a baby that is coming out and they'll pip on their own. They'll stick their neck out like an inch or so. And, and then you come back 12 hours later and they're in the same damn position. And you're like, what the hell's going on? So you open that egg up to find that the umbilical cord is tied around their neck or around their body. Yeah in a in essentially what looks like a slip knot so the more they pull the mm -hmm. tighter it gets i had that happen with a few of mine in my clutch they had they had pretty much been out of the egg entirely but they got that wrapper that that same thing and I yeah lost, and, i lost every single one of them that had that problem what happens is they're not getting the the rest of the yolk so they're really weak and they'll they can just fizzle out and die mm -hmm. but if you catch it in time you can take like a small probe or something and you can open, well, you can cut the, the egg open more 
while they're in it and hold it in your hand and you can kind of back the baby up and just tap their head so they kind of rescind back Mm -hmm. in and if they like recoil back in enough they can sometimes you can get them to back up through that slip knot and then they're okay but if they don't you're gonna have to tie like dental floss around that freaking thing and tie it in a knot which sucks and cut it so going back to the probe thing are you putting the probe between the umbilical cord and no the i'm just actually just touching the the animal or something or a q-tip to to try to get it to back up gotcha gotcha um but if you can't do that then you're gonna have to either somehow unwind it or potentially snip that cord but if you snip that cord without tying it off they'll just bleed out mm-hmm. so it sucks because it's like one of those things that happens that like you end up doing it by yourself at like three in the morning and um <laughs> and you've got like 10 of them you know yeah, it's kind of like said. when the when a female prolapses one of her oviducts and there's 10 eggs dragging behind her on a perch and uh yeah stuff like that that's fun yeah i had i had two or three babies that they they were out of the egg fully and for whatever reason that that cord was just cinched around them and they they died yeah and it's weird i I don't know if it's from turning the eggs or if the um if it if the um something attached already to the shell and then you turn the egg or how late do you think that happens though if they're able to develop you know fully i mean to an extent to making it to hatch date i mean do you think that could be something that's happening later stage you know maybe when you're messing with the egg box or you know i don't know because it, it seems to be I, I mean i had the same experience with the carbon python clutch this year um i, I could only really think that it could have had to happen late stage because yeah I that's what i would think much uh, irritation surrounding the umbilical cord um so <clears throat> I, I, I don't know i think i i don't know exactly how long it takes but it's like i thought something like maybe around 10 hours the embryo adheres to the to the egg wall are you talking about first setting eggs yeah yeah it's something like that so like if you pull those eggs and you know start flipping them around and stuff and and looking with you know candling them or whatever i don't know if if something could happen before it attaches or um you know if it is something late developmental Mm -hmm. yeah there was was a post on mvf about it a while back where they were talking about candling eggs you know especially late term and that possibly being a, a cause for it is them just getting sort of flipped around and not really knowing which way is up at that point and was that that article uh banjo babies and how to produce them i don't <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't think so so i don't know um i i really don't you know it I mean, I'm not the only one that's had this kind of thing happen, but, you know, it's it's not like something that occurs often, but it does. And it's, uh, you know, I'm going to try some different incubation methods to see 
if there's any different results, but um, I can say that and I was telling this to Andy recently is that the most productive, highest yield, perfect clutches I had were from imported animals. Hmm. You know, animals that when I first started getting into this, I was uh, breeding adult imports and they had perfect fertile clutches, like 100% hatch rates. Um, and that's why I like kind of working with the locality animals and then taking the best that I can produce from those and putting them with the animals that have been bred for traits and come from these really great bloodlines. I think like that's why like even these Highland animals that the localities have like beautiful blues and these great high blacks that you put one of those females with a blue line animal or a high black male and you're you can get gold from that mm -hmm. i mean just beautiful healthy animals and you know uh start creating some different bloodlines i i mean i'm trying to get some killer blue blood from just these highland animals on their own um this super blue stuff that came from the uh andrew amen to the uh monoquari female that i have that's like an incredible animal she's she's just she was a fresh import i don't even know how old that snake is but <clears throat> she she's got some great blood and you know her her those offspring are now 50 percent you know un, unknown blood that yeah. have nothing to do with the blue uh, blood at all so i think diversifying those bloodlines I mean, that's how everything was produced originally. It came from right. stuff that was locality. So you start putting different things together and and kind of experiment with what you can produce and kind of make some, you know, take some, do some calculated risks as far as like what you can think is going to happen. But, you know, I, 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 there's things that I produce that I know that I would like to produce again, like the Highland Beox the um wamena stuff the aru beox mm -hmm. <clears throat> all that stuff's great now what makes you decide what locality you want to include into what sort of like what are the like the higher end bloodlines with the designer stuff already well what i, I like the that? highland like the highland type females like the the founder animals were quite blue Mm -hmm. The um, I had one animal that was that was going straight to blue that I had sold, which uh, I don't know what happened to that. But uh, unfortunately, I don't have that animal, but I have siblings from it. Um, John Irby had produced some really nice stuff with that um, Highland female that was part of the same bloodline. He paired that to I thought it was Soul Train. One of the clutches. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of melanistic. So there was some really cool stuff that came out of that. Um, I've had some high black animals coming out of the offspring that were from the Highland Wemena clutches that I did. <clears throat> um, but like the females, I you know, you put that one of those females that, you know, is a, a really nice, potentially a, a dominant red female to the right blue male. 
and I think that you can get some incredible animals out of them. Mm-hmm. I guess just you being the you know one of the big designer guys, you know, you kind of have a better eye for for what you think would would work best. You know, like the stuff I have raising up. Like I have one of those uh, neos from David Brahms that he produced, and I don't know if it's a male or female because it's still small, but. <clears throat> when the time comes, it's going to be like, well, you know, I'm going to have a good bit of Manaquari stuff. I got a pretty decent spread now as far as bloodlines and localities and whatnot. Um, but kind of deciding, because it seems to me that if you throw Bioc or Wamina into just about anything, it's going to take it up a pretty decent notch. Yeah. the um, Like Andy was just pointing out that yeah. I have a, I have a F2 Bioc that was from Tim Morris and, um, this male is like a high black pure bioc that you put this with anything and i i think you're gonna get some incredible stuff mm-hmm. out cross it to anything and because that's the cool thing about these animals you don't never know what you're gonna get right like you know you put that with a with a aru that was a yellow and it's it's you just don't know like i put my i had a plain green kind of uh not the most best looking uh female bioc with my aru male and i had a whole clutch that came out to be high yellow animals from reds i i never thought in a million years there was no yellow on either of those animals at all and that's what i got some killer stuff um i don't know if i'm i would consider myself a, a designer guy because you know i i don't have some of these designer bloodlines that a lot of people have now um i have a decent amount but you know i i didn't have the the scratch to buy up a a whole bunch of stuff to uh to work with but over the years i've had some good animals that for founding type animals like that andrew amen male and you know i had a lot of nice vinsky animals but you know, I, I'm trying to produce my own bloodlines, essentially, from yeah. what came before and then trying to, you know, diversify the blood. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, and and see what, what hits, you know, and, and try to raise up. The problem I'm having is, you know, I end up selling all the stuff that, <laughs> that I should be keeping. And I'm like, oh, I should have kept that. I think you say that way too often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David was I asked David and uh and Luke if they had any questions since neither of them could join me this round, but uh Luke was wondering uh he would like to hear a little bit about that crazy older man aquari female you have. Oh yeah. That thing I think she's older than dust, to be honest. I mean <laughs> He says that's hands yeah. down one of his favorite contours ever. She really is one of my favorites and she's such a sick looking snake. Um you know, she was like a pet store find, <clears throat> some pet store or something in Jersey, and uh, got her. And she was supposedly just an import. And uh, that animal, um, the first clutch she laid, she was. I came home and she was came out of the nest box and she was pumping them out onto the ground off her perch. So there was like 14 eggs and I caught the last three in my hand and uh, all the other eggs died except for those three. Damn. All those females turned uh, blue. 
they were all females that came out of those eggs. Did Tommy Bodway end up with one of those? Or was Tommy that- has had one of those, and then he had she had another clutch where she then did something stupid, I can't remember, and she kind of scattered them around. Um, Tommy Budway has the female from that one as well that he's going to breed this year. Um, so I, she's still kicking, but she had what I thought was a tumor. I mean, I, I honestly think the snake could be 20 years old. Um, but anyhow, uh, upon further inspection, (laughs) because I, I tried to, you know, draw from it because it felt hard the first time Mm -hmm. when it started to grow and nothing, nothing drew from it. So I'm like, this snake's fucked. It's a tumor. So the thing started getting bigger and bigger. And then, uh, it got pretty big and I was soaking her and I'm like this poor snake, what the fuck? And then I felt it and it felt soft. So I took a syringe and I, uh, drew a, a ton of fluid out of it so i Mm. drew about i had a three ml syringe i drew about eight of those out of her damn was it just like a cyst or something yeah so it's a cyst but i'm not sure what is causing it and basically i put her on antibiotics to see if i can knock out what's causing the cyst i mean she she eats great and everything. Um, I mean, it could be something as simple as she got a tooth lodged in something and it right. became infected. Um, but I think she's such an older animal that if I was to put her under anesthesia and cut her open and, and all this stuff to remove what's doing it, she's probably not going to make it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this is yeah, this is what I'm doing for her now. But, um, you know, if... Uh, if there's progress with her, which I mean, she's eating great and everything and um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I would, if I could ever get that Andrew Amon male to breed her again and, and her to bounce back. I mean, those are, those animals are gold to me. I mean, they're just my favorite snakes, the two of mm-hmm. them to, and together they produce some of the bluest animals. I mean, the one Tommy had was freaking incredible. Um, so I do have the, I have her offspring here, which is incredible snake too. And she's taken the year off, but I'm going to try to produce with her next year. That's the Andrew Amon Monoquari. I do have a neonate from that last clutch here, which I'm holding on to that. That'll hold on to. (laughs) And that was last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite animals, and like that, she just turned like that blue and black color that I've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Purple. Yeah, purple. Don't tell Tim. Tim doesn't like that. <laughs> it's not purple. <laughs> how many? How many are you pairing a year on average? Um, I would like to be pairing like six to eight pairs. Um. I have two animals right now that were paired up. One of them's ovulated, and the other, I hope, is going to ovulate. Then I have uh, three more paired up right now. Sorry, I had another pair as well, so that's a third, but I I haven't seen a lot of follicle development from her yet. So I had one, two, three. I have three more pairs right now. 
um, two of these males are just simply, simply confused <laughs> is the word, I guess. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I, I have a bunch more females that I'm hoping to get producing. This Highland male is breeding this Bioc female, which is awesome because that's one of those pairs that, you know, they're locality animals. There's no designer blood. And mm -hmm. there's one of those types of pairings that I hope is going to create those high blacks and blues that I love. So, uh, you know, and then I've got the Bolins pythons and they're doing really well. They're, uh, there was copulations yesterday. So I'm crossing my fingers oh, that get it. Yeah. He's, uh, doing some work which is good because uh yeah that would be a great thing i would love to have that happen we'll see there's a lot of people trying so you know yeah. there's been a good good success in europe i mean frederick had, has had some great success over there and um hasn't been too much in the states in a long time i guess so we'll awesome. see what happens yeah trying um so yeah i'll have you know, I'm hoping they get some good eggs this year. Um, if I could get a couple more of these males to do some work, it would uh, be helpful. So hopefully, I mean, it, you know, most of the time if I have six or eight pairings, I usually can end up with like three or four clutches. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm hoping for at least this year. Yeah. And then uh, next year, probably have a little bit more, you know, coming into maturity and you know, I got a really nice mail here from Tommy Budway. That's from his, uh, what's that from? That's from his Dale Joel female to his, uh, which one is that one from? Uh, oh, it's a Rich it's Culver. The... That's the Rich Culver male to Dale Joel female. That's the sibling to his, uh, Galaxy, yep. which is a really beautiful, uh, blue male. And he was going to try to maybe pair him up this year, but I think Tommy's going to put the Sky Topaz Bioc that I produced, which is a really nice looking snake with, um, with his uh, Monoquari Andrew Amon female he got from that pairing with that nice female. Mm -hmm. Tommy has a, a nice Rich Culver pairing going on that I said ovulated as well that he posted. Those are going to be really nice. Hopefully, he gets a good fertile clutch out of that. And I, I'm, I'm thinking Christian's got some nice stuff going on as well as as Irby. <clears throat> yeah, uh, Luke is trying to get. He has a, a small male from Irby that he's been trying to get. He's seen some locks, but I don't think he's had anything uh, fully take yet. Yeah, that male is from uh, Soul Train Joe Girl. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, the one that he had, Luke has got some really nice stuff, and Dave D as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got some ridiculous animals, and I got to uh, got to catch up. Definitely. <laughs> I'm yeah, excited I mean, to it... see what these neos from him look like, and they're just from, you know, the his female, which has some Maxwell blood in her, and then the male was just an undocumented manaquari type highland type animal you know you know who else produced some really nice animals was uh rod rod love yeah yeah 
he he went about in the last couple of years accumulating a really smart group of animals from like a lot of different diverse blood and uh he's like really meticulous about how he's keeping them and raising them and like he's one of those people that i've sold animals to that i would like to buy some animals back from you know without a doubt Mm -hmm. you know he's he's definitely on top of what he's doing over there he got some really nice stuff from uh christian he got some nice stuff from uh what else did he buy a bunch of stuff he bought a bunch of interesting high yellow blood and calico blood and just yeah. a, a good mix like he's, a very he's good mix. definitely got some killer animals because he posts them on instagram all the time and they're yeah smoking yeah yeah, I guess the whole thought is, you know, to try and get the the right puzzle pieces for the puzzle, you know. Definitely. Yeah, there's um, definitely a lot of people that are, you know, thinking about really doing, really doing like the right, the right way of uh, getting these animals together, and uh, kind of thinking about the the whole spectrum of, you know, the the final product of what they can potentially get out of the bigger picture. Yeah. And I mean, it takes time. I mean, these animals, you you can't just pump them up as far as I'm concerned, just get like big old sausagey looking snakes and throw them together. 4,500 gram females. (laughs) I mean, I've had a couple of females that were, were much bigger females. I mean, I I think uh, anywhere between, you know, 1200 to, 2000 is really where a lot of mine had been some of the bigger females around 2000 but these were big muscular animals and i feel like the animals that were were fat that didn't have that muscle tone there's a couple of times where i'd have had ovulations and you know something burst and the and the animal died and then i and then i cut the animal open to see what's going on and all you see are these huge fat deposits mm-hmm. um, on either side of of the the body cavity, and you you have to wonder. It's like, did you know? Was there just not enough room? Right. So, I mean, yeah, big or enough females. muscle to keep everything kind of where it needed to be. Yeah, I mean, there are some animals that I like. One of the Highland Beox that. Um, I sent down the Christian, a, a big female. She was a big girl, but she didn't have an ounce of fat on her. She's just solid muscle. And uh, hopefully she'll produce this year. I mean, she's a beautiful, you know, kind of a high yellow animal that could that could produce who knows what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, feeding them too much like that. Is There's all sorts of problems you can have with these things. It's like you have one or two snakes, you may not see any of it. If you have 40, 50 snakes, you you can see the, you know, that runs the gamut of stuff that can happen. Right. You know, and I, I don't know shit. It's you know, <laughs> literally, I, you know, you see something different every day. I never saw a snake's hemipene blow out of its ass. <laughs> Until and, it happened. You know, <laughs> and then, you know, the next day I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> awesome perfect yeah try to put a a, a freaking giant foot-long sausage back into a freaking 
the, the a, a freaking tiny little hole. <laughs> it was horrible, man. It was just disgusting and horrible. How old are your <laughs> How old are your females when you're reading them for the first time? Um, usually between four and five. If okay. a female can gets big enough at mm-hmm. four, that's most of them will. But normally, I wait till they're five. Okay. But you know, it's uh, there, like I said, there's no steadfast rules, right. and you know, people all have different techniques and ways to do things, and I just do what work has worked for me in the past, and you know. Like I said, I I haven't seen shit yet, and I've seen a lot. It's like, <laughs> it's like there's there's just something new every day with these things when you have a lot of them because you know there's you know these animals all have these different origins and you don't know what happened to them in the past. Some mm-hmm. of them, I that's why most of the animals I have now are I bred, I produced here. You know, because you know I know the whole background. On I don't keep daily feeding records i've got you know 40 snakes or something at any one time once i get babies going on food i i don't take any i don't write any of it down (laughs) you ask tommy tommy says i'm the best record keeper there is (laughs) oh my god it drives me crazy (laughs) when did he well i don't know well, you know what? I'm the one feeding them, so I do know. But <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, the, what I do mark down is when there is something of note, like it didn't eat, or you yeah. know, its ass is hanging out, I, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it happens, but you know, hopefully not so often. Yeah. And that, it's so it's it's a it's just a uh, you know it's easy to take records and and have awesome like eight by 10 glossy photos. And when, when you have two or three snakes, but you know, that's not what I'm focusing on. I've got 40 snakes or something to uh, maintain and feed. And, you know, I don't take pictures on feet on cleaning day because cleaning day doesn't exist. Every day is cleaning day. It it makes me wonder, you know, what is cleaning day? Does the snake (laughs) sit in there with shit for five days until cleaning day? No. No, I mean, that's what the whole show's about, man. Like, I ask everyone almost the same questions every episode, and people keep listening. But it's because everyone does it differently to an extent. Like, no one does it the same way. Like, no two people do it, keep these things, or, you know, breed these things the same way as the the last two guys did. Well, I think that's one of the reasons why potentially some of the animals have problems adjusting once they're sent somewhere else Yeah, is that, you know, people are doing something one way and somebody else brings it over and they're like, I'm going to do this no matter what. And uh, that's why, you know, try to get as much info from a previous owner if you're buying something and, and try to meet that as it was just for the best success you can have. And, mm-hmm put the thing in freaking quarantine for as long as you can and test it for as much as you can before you let it kill the rest of your collection because you don't know a snake could look perfectly healthy and not have a any ri symptoms or anything else and you let it in and you've just killed killed everything you have and that's kind of my goal with my stuff is get to a point to where i don't have to bring anything new in i have enough diversity in what i have to be able to kind of close everything off and 
and just produce what I want to produce out of what I, you know, what I have on hand. Yep. I didn't, I I hadn't brought animals into here for almost five years. Uh, this is the first year that I, I brought a couple of snakes in, Mm -hmm. which were all tested. And I still have another one coming in that needs to get tested. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of shit that you don't see or think about because you don't see it or think about it until you're, it's too late. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're so good at hiding. Yeah. So, you know, that's the one thing that I will definitely do, do not want to risk having, uh, anything happen to the animals that I've produced here and, you know, all the money. I, I've spent more money on these animals than I've made a hundred percent. I mean, <laughs> dude, we're well over the hundred and fifty thousand dollar mark, I would say. And you know, I, I've yet to tap into a profit. <laughs> but you know, it's like it, because you get a little bit more money back, and what do you do? You like buy more snakes. That's right. Yeah. Just put it right back into that pit. Yeah, it's not a bad pit to be in. I mean, I've been doing this my whole life. So it's like, originally, I started trying to sell animals to justify buying them. So it's like, you know, it's like, what, I'm I'm making money. Look, I swear. It's not actually coming out of my own wallet. It's coming from what I've made. I mean, I got people who are like, hey, could you send me like an invoice in that box that says like, you know, we traded something or... (laughs) You know, it was only a hundred dollars. I have like, a paper trail to cover up. Yeah, two sets of books. It's like freaking mob. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing though to to figure out the, the the aspects of the the money with it. As far as it, it's weird because I I mean I did open an LLC for this, mm-hmm. and you know with other animals and products and stuff like that. You know, if I if I spent, say I, I bought a snake from you for $10,000 and I get a, a receipt that says I paid $10,000, as far as the IRS is concerned, that snake was worth $10,000. But if I produce a snake here and I have it for sale for $10,000 and then it dies before I sell it, am I not out $10,000? Was it only worth $10,000 once I sold it? Right. it? It's not, it's fucked up. Like, it's hard to to actually recoup losses Mm -hmm. it's and it's something that i have to actually think about because if something happened you know and i lost everything that's why it's like i mean there's people that have lost everything and it's hard oh you know when you have a snake that's like 10 grand die that sucks yeah Uh, and especially when it's something i produced and i have no like i can't even you know recoup anything from Mm -hmm. it but did did somebody else did you say they had another question because we talked to Luke we asked about Luke about the monoport. No, I think that was I think that was that was I thought it was David that sent that, but it was Luke. Oh, okay. But we're about two hours, so we Damn. can go ahead and. I feel like we were just getting started. Yeah, yeah. Andy, it goes by Andy, quick, Andy, man. Like starting to... Andy started. To... <laughs> All right, so. Um... What else did you want to uh, touch base on? I don't. I think we covered pretty Cheating, much everything. Yeah. Incubation. Um, 
Or there was one you wanted to say something for people coming in that yeah, want to get. I mean, you it. just kind of got into that. Uh, well, a little bit. I but, mean, I've I been mean, if you that. have something else you want to, I mean, if you want to elaborate on that a little more, feel free. Well, oh. well, <laughs> I'll say I'll say one thing, and that is that you know, the, if there's people coming into looking into this species, it's like you know, do as much due diligence and homework as you can on your own before purchasing something and then being one of the people that's like oh help me what's wrong with my snake because it's like there has been so much of that that they do get the ridicule that maybe they don't deserve but as it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction that people have and then it's kind of like putting them off to the whole thing Mm -hmm. um so like with that said it's like you know if you do your due diligence, you're going to have more success with this and you don't have to jump in like both feet and be like, I want, cause there's people like I've never had one of these snakes before, but I want that blue one. Like I'll, I'll pay the 10 grand. And it's like, you know, it's almost like you, you're, you're going to get vetted to some extent. That's why yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, I need you to call me. I don't know who you are or, or if you have any experience, but you're not going to be the one that posts the snake after it's dead online and be like, Oh, I got this from James. And now it's, you know, now it's belly up because I put it under a French fry light in a freaking uh, 10 gallon tank for 16 hours straight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would just, you know, do your due diligence and, and start doing some research and reading and, uh, and then start picking people's brains. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, in my experiences so far, all the green trees I've bought and are uh, either the Highland stuff or it's designer stuff, uh, the bulk of it being the designer stuff. And uh, just quickly right off the bat from uh, just kind of being able to process the information that's being shown on a uh, lineage chart um, that's got so many animals. I mean, it's kind of hard to know what you're looking at um, when you're paying, um, you know, 2500 for example you know it's got a designer label on it you know but it's got uh oh you know it's id numbers one two three you know wild top biak and mm-hmm. then uh, it, i mean not that i, I love outcrosses and whatnot i, I mean it's the bulk of kind of what i'm picking up right now um because i'm kind of working two projects simultaneously at least that's the intent with uh, the kind of stuff i'm picking up um, I definitely feel like there needs to be work done. I mean, uh, on in terms of preserving these bloodlines uh, of a lot of keepers, um, just because somebody like me, you know, I'm kind of standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, I'm fresh into it, and uh, there's so much good blood to work with. Uh, but in terms of consistent results and uh, longevity, I mean, the Trooper Walsh Blue line is kind of a hard uh, line to not. Uh, kind of get into it. i mean mm-hmm. there's a lot that's attractive about that and whatnot um but yeah so i'm kind of focusing focusing on the mr blue carolina stuff um in terms of trooper wash blue line stuff um and then i'm also trying to dip my toe into the 05188 um offsprings and descendants of that uh, i feel like that is been able to reproduce some pretty consistent results in terms of uh, I mean, melanistic animals and uh, that, that kind of models after 05188, if that makes any sense. It's yeah. kind of a 
reproducible. I mean, he's got a very specific look to him, and I feel like that trait has been, uh, you know, typically passed on uh, in a very strong way. And uh, the consistency seeing coming from a line such as that is, you know, somebody that's trying to acquire a foundation of animals. I mean, that's something that I'm kind of scooping up. Um, my plans to eventually cross the uh, Tommy Budway um, animal that I got. That's from the uh, James Opdahl. Um, that was the Terry Phillips. That's the Terry um, Phillips. Yeah. OG Junior. Uh, OG uh, from Joe Sabia, and that was crossed to, to the, the Dale uh, Dull stuff, which is the Pygar uh, Blue Diamond uh, descendants among some other stuff in there, but I'm kind of putting that to my uh, James stuff that I'm picking up, the Highland, uh, some of the Vinsky stuff. Um, so I plan on doing like a F1 or maybe F2 breedings of that and then to cross that into the Trooper Wolf Blue Line. Mm-hmm. Um, with my Trooper Wolf Blue Line foundation, uh, I mean, I'm definitely trying to keep it above 50% to an extent, depending on uh, which specific animals it comes from. I mean, what I've really done is, uh, and kind of what I, my observation is like makes like, you know, and if there's an animal that you like, um, then you need to get descendants of that. And, you know, if I could reproduce, uh, or something even remotely close to the the Andrew Amon male that's here that James has, um, that's the animal that really got me into conjures, uh, just seeing that all blue snake for the first time, uh, that's kind of a unreplicable, uh, you know event um but yeah I, I just try to you know like makes like and uh I, I just try to you know reproduce or i am specifically choosing animals that are you know f1 f2 from that bloodline and you know i found quantifying the bloodline into a percentage has uh, been able to make uh decisions like that in my selection process a bit easier because um, it's kind of a level playing field if that makes any sense yeah calculated cold cold calculated killer yeah it's just uh seeing um what's being produced from what bloodlines picking up on that and uh kind of just and the big thing is is write it all down i mean if you see an animal you like i'm just what i do i kind of put it in you form but what i do is um you know, I have notebooks on notebooks sitting everywhere. I swear to God, I got three next to my couch in my living room. I got one next to my computer. I got two in my work bag. And that's just whenever I see something notable, you know, an animal that looks really nice or has the specific breed that I'm trying to kind of um, emphasize or, you know, trying to reproduce in, um, in an in even a more extreme way. I mean, I'm noting that animal down. Um, and, and then I will revisit it at a later time when I'm kind of brainstorming and whatnot. And, yeah, uh, you need to send help. me a picture of that because that's something I need to start doing so I can keep track of everything. I mean, yeah, I got a <laughs> couple notebooks next to me and didn't even crack any of them open for this, unfortunately. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're just filled uh, front to back just with random stuff. Um, I mean, this whole notebook right here is mostly Mr. Blue Carolina stuff and uh, notable offspring from that. Um, and, and just picking up on what people are working with with the bloodlines that you want. I, I'm obsessed with this, uh, a lot of James's stuff here. Um, you were talking about that Blue Deuce 
be off the blue deuce blood yeah i mean i really like the blue deuce blood you're seeing a lot of cool stuff with the blue deuce blood coming out uh, i mean jake yeah I mean, there's a lot of yeah i mean that close to the top but uh yeah but i uh there's a lot um that comes into choosing the right snake for your project and uh and staying within the scope of your project um and uh i mean i've been just buying a lot of stuff i mean in my last two years i mean with all species in general and if you're, if you're not staying on the right track uh, you're just putting yourself back for generations and generations to come mm-hmm. and that's why I, I mean i just I, I don't see the reason why people just put i mean i can totally i see the reason i i personally don't it's not appealing to me just putting animals together just to produce them you know and right. uh, you're, you're setting blunt lines back you're not doing service to the you know what the the work the people did before you and uh you know and that's uh not somebody who i'd like to be and you know i want to do justice to the people that have uh really paid the forefathers exactly yeah i mean (laughs) they they're the ones who made the blue snakes you know now i'm just trying to remake them essentially so you know just yeah i like it yeah, they should just, you know, people, if they want to get into, you know, st- starting to try to keep these animals, they're, they're, you know, if you follow a few guidelines, they're not, you know, overly difficult. If anything, they're, you know, a little bit easier to simply maintain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just focus on on raising them. Don't, don't feel like you necessarily need to jump into breeding them right away. I mean, if you mm-hmm. have bred animals, then yeah, you can breed them, but you know, I, if you're going to get into it solely to try to make a profit, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, good luck. You need a ton of money in order to try and even make money from what I've seen. I mean, a lot of, you can get animals for, for cheaper that are great animals and, you know, but it's, it's very time consuming and you have to be patient and then it'll happen, you know, if that's what your goal is. But mm-hmm. I mean, I honestly, I just like keep I I like to breed these animals, but I really enjoy keeping them because, you know, I, I spend a lot of time with these animals. Like I'm I basically I don't have them in a room where I'm not in all the time. I, I see and hear the behavior of them like 24 seven. So. I'm seeing a lot of stuff that people that have like other collections, if they don't, it, aren't in that room with them all the time, they're not really, uh, they're missing out on a lot of that behavior. Or if there's issues with them, they might not see it until it's too late. So, you know, it's like, it's all about attention to detail, in my opinion, is, uh, you know, kind of pay attention to the behavior and that's when you find things that are out of ordinary, if you're going to, you know, pick up on it or not, that's where you're going to have be successful or not successful mm-hmm. with the animals. And uh, yeah, James and I discussed this a bit at length. Um, uh, where does it go with that? Well, you, you, you do have your animals at a different location right now. And yes, yes, exactly. So James and I were discussing this at length um, the other day, because at, at the moment, I live apart from my collection. Um, yeah, I'm about a 20 minute drive away. I mean, it's not too big of a pain in the ass, but uh, I work all day. And then uh, 
you know, I mean, realistically, I'm there every other day and uh, I've suffered the consequences of not being able to be there every day to see stuff when it's going wrong. I mean, I've killed half of the condos I've bought so far, you know, I literally uh, the first couple of or the first condo I got from James, I busted my ass for two months straight on a farm just to, you know, scratch up the money for this payment plan. And, you know, I ended up fucking killing the thing two weeks ago. Um, yeah, you know, and that's just hundred percent keeper air. And, and I, I just wasn't there to see, uh, what was going wrong. And, uh, yeah, you know, and that that's the price you pay for not, you know, being like in tune with these animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I killed, it, I killed a lot of snakes. I, you know, it's like I said, I don't know shit. And I mean, there's just too much that you can know. I mean, you're just not going to learn it all with what happens with some of these animals. I mean, 99% of them will just be like great and bulletproof. And then there's the other percent that's going to be like, what the hell just Nightmares. happened? You know, and, and just without all the scientific research behind some of this stuff, you just don't know. Um I mean, I would love to have enough money and enough animals to do a control group and do some more research, which... Hopefully it will be something in the future that I could, I could work out and, and then actually get over to Papua and do some, do some studying, which hopefully in the near future will happen. Just don't get kidnapped and taken hostage. Yeah, they would, they would spit roast me. <laughs> okay. Jesus. They'd be like, that's a big motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, just one more thought about uh, attention to detail with the animals. I mean, uh, obviously, you're being able to pick up on the things that are going bad right away. I mean, even though the species tends to, you know, you don't see what's going on until it's too late, as mentioned a bit earlier. Um, But you're also able to pick up on the really cool behaviors um, that that they're doing. And that's kind of every time. I mean, I've like i've mentioned i've killed a lot of stuff and uh, every time i kill an animal <laughs> well that sounds pretty sinister when i say it out loud but uh <laughs> every time i kill an animal i kind of just really uh that i uh kind of really i appreciate what i have you know because i've gotten definitely sucked into trying to get a bunch of stuff too quick and yeah i've suffered the consequences to say the least and uh we can talk about that at a later date once uh, I know a bit more, but, um, but yeah, so. Uh, well, hopefully it's all learning experience and the future animals in your collection uh, are, are better for it, you know? Yeah. So I think I'm going about it the right way and uh, yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, I think you're in good hands. So I think we'll, uh, we're, I'll, we're, we're going to try to see you down at, uh, Perfect Fest, if not potentially Daytona again. But yeah, uh, no, I'm definitely I'm I'm already working on trying to get the weekend off for for Carpet Fest because we want to go like ideally we want to be down there Friday and then leave Sunday afternoon or something. Because there's this always February. Yeah, February eighth is the day of the event, and then they're they usually do something like Friday night at one of the breweries or something, and then Sunday I think they were talking about maybe like some uh, tour at the alligator farm or something in St. Augustine. <clears throat> I mean, Cody's place is going to occupy me enough for fucking years. Oh, but... yeah, man. <laughs> like, I have no problems just hanging out there for three days straight. 
and the carpet fest you know it's all about the people at the end of the day it's a blast my first uh, northeast one this year uh... i I was building rat racks last time i was there (laughs) cody put them to work like immediately we woke up that morning i was building rat racks and barbecuing for the masses you did a good job with that too I, i don't even think i i ate anything that day i was polluted (laughs) <laughs> i was belligia james <clears throat> it was a good time man i think this year or not this year but the next the upcoming carpet fest is going to be bigger than it was last year yeah they tell me i had a blast yeah you did <laughs> i witnessed a good bit of it and you were having a good time yeah it was fun yeah all right good well, fun by all where can people follow you guys if they want to stay up to date with what's going on? Um, on, on Instagram, I'm under uh, Captive Snakes. And uh, on Facebook, also Captive Snakes. But mo- most of the stuff I've been posting is just on some of the Facebook uh, Morelia pages, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But uh, I do need to start to uh, update and start posting some more on Instagram. Yeah, you do. Yeah. I do have a website that's Captive Snakes that has a sweet landing page for the last five years. <laughs> yeah, it said that it would be ready in <laughs> September of 2019. It, uh, I'm trying to actually get it working and update. I have to get – I'm working on the content. so Because mm-hmm. there's some other stuff that I want to be working on. We're, we're trying to put together um, potentially offering enclosures and uh, – some different uh, housing systems for people that maybe will be slightly less than some of the enclosures that yeah. I, I, I I haven't offered these because people do approach me and then I'm like, you know, you're just not going to want them. So I'm not going to, because they're, they're expensive. You know, this is all like, you know, high-end cabinetry that's basically for your animals. So I'm working on a little bit different system that, people may appeal to people that actually have you know basically like systems where they can insert like what was that reptile basics or something yeah something like that so i don't know i'm not going to talk about it right until we have something to show people (laughs) um learn that lesson so anyhow we'll uh we'll get back to that once i get some content posted but I am around Facebook, and, and Andy is on Facebook and Instagram as well. Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Andy Middleton, and then Instagram, it's uh, AM or Boreals. So, yeah, and that's about it for me. I'm uh, on all the Facebook pages and on the MVF as well. Awesome. Well, I appreciate yeah. you guys taking the time to, to do this, man. This is a this is a good one. Cool, Justin. It was great talking to you. It's, was this like a two two cigar show for you? No, I just had the one. <laughs> I had a bunch today at work, so I only had one. Right on. So. Yeah, cool, man, Justin. It was a pleasure. Uh, yeah, man. I hope somebody got something out of this uh, chaotic podcast. We'll uh, we'll definitely get you on again <laughs> at some point and kind of you know get David and Luke in here too or something. Cool. That would be awesome. Have a four way. That's disgusting. <laughs> I thought it was bad enough with these three freaking the three freaking pirates I got here fucking that aren't doing any <laughs> These fucking things. All right, y'all. Yeah. Have a good evening.
All right, buddy. Have a good one. Later. Thanks, Justin. See you, man. Great guys. Uh, so be sure to give him a follow. Subscribe to the show, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Follow me on Facebook at the Condrocast. Uh, Instagram at the Condrocast. Uh, personal account is at Palmetocast Exotics. Facebook and Instagram. And uh, thank you. See you later.